everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. This is the 50th uh, edition of this podcast that uh, we've had so far. So thanks to everyone for the support. And to celebrate, I have my good friend and guitar teacher and all-around musical hero, icon, stud, uh, Mark Tremalia. Hey, Mark. I'm good, Paul. How are you doing? <laughs> Crazy as always. Thank you. <laughs> so the the. 50th episode, obviously you're, you haven't been the only guest, but you're my, I would say my primary guest. And we've talked about a lot of different things. Did you expect this podcast to, uh, sort of grow into what it's been so far? I had no idea, no expectations. It was just fun to like reminisce and talk to you about crazy stories that, I figured nobody would ever hear except my wife, who was probably sick of hearing them more than once. <laughs> I, you told me already, you know, so I, I probably do the same thing on this podcast, but, you know, you can edit if I repeat myself. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that with my wife. <laughs> and there, there really hasn't been uh, much at all of, of repeating. And there, you know, there's been so much to talk about in your experiences. You know, a lot of them are pretty funny just but just one person experiencing all of this is uh is pretty crazy to think about you know until we like started doing this i never really thought you know it was honestly as stupid as it sounds it was just kind of my life i never thought about like how it related to everybody else you know and i, I had like old high school friends that that you know you might even remember john lambert like my first bass player and he used to get mad at me for like living the life of a musician. He was just like, why, why don't you just get a house and have a couple kids and get credit card debt and be like the rest of us? And I was like, <laughs> what does that even mean? I'm just playing music and like following what I do, you know, and hoping, hoping to keep doing it, you know, but crazy. That, that is a weird, a weird attitude. Like, uh, does that, do you, you know, if we can think about that for a second, do you think that comes from some sort of jealousy, like where he didn't, he didn't do that. So now, he doesn't want anyone else to, to have that. I'm sure there's a bit of that, you know, and he's was brought up super Catholic and super conservative Republican. And, you know, like he wants it to be the fifties still. So that's just that particular guy, you know, I mean, right. it's just, you know, his wife doesn't work and she better not, and, you know, that kind of deal. So it's like, <laughs> I, 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 so when he says that, I take it with a grain of salt, like, oh, okay, dude, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're living the dream. <laughs> so you are right now i know uh you're out in the desert and so california i imagine is long car rides sort of everywhere at least that's what i read and see in the movies like nobody walks everybody drives everywhere so what are you listening to these days when you're in the car are you prepping for shows are you just sort of relaxing and trying not to think about what you need to do that's a great question, and, and it's funny because there's a joke that everything in L.A. is 20 minutes away, but really, with traffic, it's like an hour away, it seems. And and on a side note, that Californians bit on Saturday Night Live, if you've never seen it before, where they're like, take the 405 to the 110, and they have their crazy accents. Unfortunately, it's so true because there's so many stupid freeways, and if you ask somebody how to get you know, they can't just go, you know, hop on Route 9 and you'll be there in 20 minutes. You know, it's like, no, you got to take the 101 to the 5, which you take to the 210, which changes into the 57 and then hop back on. the. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so anyways, 
I'm out in the desert right now because uh, we have a hiatus week on the TV show that I'm working on. And uh, so I'm going back and forth for rehearsals almost every day. And it's a two hour ride minimum. You know, and I try to drive when there's no traffic. So I've been I've been making the ride every day because I love the desert and I, I want to keep playing as much as I can. So since I have the free time, I'm going up and playing. So I, I, I just I find my taste in music really eclectic and varying depending on what I'm doing. So. Like I, w- I was telling you on, on my ride up, you know, it's like it's kind of funny because I feel like I'm schizophrenic, you know, like I got in the car and I'm like, that's eh, two hour ride. I'm going to just relax and I'm going to put on some nice classical, put some Mozart on, maybe some Bach. And then by the time I drove 10 minutes, I'm like, you know what, I, I, I like the roads wide open. I need something heavy. So I put on Slipknot and um, I'm driving on that. And then I started getting worn out from that. And I hit a little traffic and I'm like, man, Hank Williams sounds really good right now. I don't know why. Something just struck me. I'm going to listen to Hank for a little bit. And then I go into Miles Davis and then I've been listening to DMX a lot. And I've been listening to Ingve and Blue Saraceno for Shred Guys. I put on Led Zeppelin. I listened to the whole physical graffiti record at one point on my drives. And, you know, so it's, I have a lot of time to do stuff. And, and there's always a point where I go, okay, and back to the Californians, okay, once I hit the 210, I have to listen to, you know, Cruzados the rest of the way because we're rehearsing it. So I want to get my mind and brain and guitar playing like the Cruzados. So I'll listen to the tunes of theirs we're doing. I'll listen to our record and then I'll listen to them in general and just try to absorb the vibe of that band. Monday I had rehearsal with Little Caesar. So, you know, on the ride up, I was in a in a 70s rock mood. So I had Free and Aerosmith and then something struck me with the rap and I listened to this underground band called The Far Side and and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm on, you know, what I think I took the 10 to the uh, 101 downtown to where I was going. And I hit the 101 and I'm like, oh, I've got to listen to Little Caesar. So then I just put Little Caesar on for the rest of the ride. And, and you know, again, I'd get through all the tunes I had to rehearse. And a lot of times I'll even air a guitar while I'm playing or at least think of the chords in my head. So I'm always kind of practicing it, even when I'm listening to it. And you always hear new, new stuff, stuff I missed. It, it kind of blows my mind. I, I've been playing this music for three or four years and I'll go, oh, my God, I missed this fill he was doing at the end of Chain of Fools. I had no idea there was this high guitar fill at the end of Chain of Fools. I'd never played it. I played it at rehearsal because I was like, wow, who knew it was there? Um, and, and I feel like the last thing I listen to is sort of my influence on what I'm going to play. So if I'm getting out of the car to go play with Little Caesar and it's kind of the last thing on my mind, then I kind of translate that when I plug in my guitar and turn the amp on. I have a guitar tone in my head because that was the last guitar tone I was listening to. I have a feeling of the music, which is probably the most important part, is to is to get the right vibe of what they're going for. Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it dynamic? Is it balls out? You know, like like what is it? And, uh, and then I just rehearse, you know, and, uh, you know, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but I've been really busy with the TV show that I'm working on and, and the bands have been rehearsing without me just because, they, you know, they want to keep their chops going. But it's like when I get in there, they tell me they don't, we don't miss a beat, you know, like as soon as I come in, I sound like I've been rehearsing with them the whole time. And it's because I try to not only listen as much as I can, but play along, you know, they'll, they'll send me the rehearsal tapes and I'll play along with it, or I'll just play along with the recorded versions of it and, and try to catch the vibe. And that's the one thing they like, there's a song that we're doing by the Cruzados called don't throw stones. And they, I got told at the end of practice last night, I am playing it too exact, like the recording that they want me to make it a little heavier and a little muddier, keep doing everything else I'm doing, but just add some gain and make it grittier instead of playing it just like the record. And I'm like, okay, 
And they're like, dude, we know your thing. You just listen to the records and try to copy everything about it, like the feel, the note, the tone. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's music, right? You know, like, I'm not going to go in. Like, I know I'm not gifted like guys like Ingve or, or Blue Saraceno, you know, I mentioned them because I just listened to them. And it's like, but I know I can work hard. So that's what I try to do. You know, I like playing songs over and over um, and I just try to play along with it as much as I can because if I if I'm not you know God gifted with talent I'll just work as hard as I can and if I have to play it a million times and drive my wife nuts playing the song over and over again I do it because that's the only way I can get on stage and feel confident and comfortable that I'm, I'm doing it you know right so when you're when you're listening to Crusados or Little Caesar in the car getting ready are you listening to the songs that are in the set or are you just sort of listening to all of it. So I, I start with always the songs in the set, okay. and then I'll listen to other random material of theirs just to make sure I'm 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 getting that vibe that I am in the right frame of mind. Because if I if I listen to those songs and then I put on Slipknot and then I go in there, well, I feel like you know it's rock. It's I'm not out of the the category. There's nothing wrong with people who do that, but I feel like I'm going to come in with a different hand. I might be a heavy right hand and I might hear a little more distortion on my guitar. And that was because I was influenced by the last thing I heard. It's just the way I am. I just know the last things I hear a lot of times influence the way I play. Mm -hmm. So it's like if I'm doing a country session, you know, I'm going to listen to Brent Mason before I head into play, you know, or I'm going to listen to, you know, Graham Parsons and try to cop that vibe, you know, so. Cool, cool. So in, in honor of this uh, 50th episode, wh when you think back on your career, is there anything um, like performance wise, let's not delve into your weird personal history, but performance wise, is there anything, is there anything that, um, that really sticks out as something you're embarrassed by or something that you wouldn't do again? You know, that could be, so I've seen some, some of your friends have posted recently, some older pictures of you with a, just a ton of eye makeup on and stuff like that, which is not necessarily embarrassing. Oh. It's of the era, right? So it's kind of funny to, to, to look at now because it's so out of place for now, but it was of the era. So when, when you think back, is there anything like, do you, is there anything like you feel bad about or you wouldn't have done knowing now uh i might have not followed that the glam trend in the 80s uh, like the pictures that were up recently of the band jay that was kind of the style of the band i i had no problem with that and i would do it tomorrow if they said bro you know we're gonna wear the makeup again and, and do the thing i would i would do it in a second just because that was the style of the band and the music doesn't even fit that kind of image but it works great with it you know because that's just that band style and i you know we're hoping to do one more record. Um, Chad, the guitar player in the band, has been battling cancer for a couple of years, and it's been he's been kicking kicking as much ass as he can. But I don't know that he's going to be able to like hit the road and, and do stuff. So we're he's been writing a lot of songs, so we're hoping to, to do some more recording. You know, um, but but back to the embarrassing stuff. You know, like yeah, I think that that '80s like super over the top glam thing. I kind of wish I, I I didn't go down that rabbit hole, and I, I blame it all on going to one show that blew my mind, and I thought that was the future right there. You know, like that's what we got to do. And you know, when you're 16 years old, you see something, you copy what you think is cool because you think you can be right. part of that bandwagon rather than carving your own path. But you know, after I moved out here and I realized, well, everybody's doing that. I started to move into my own territory of music. And, you know, I wish I'd found that when I was like 15 rather than waiting till I was 20, 21 to find that. You know what I mean? I'm probably not, probably 20. 
was when I really started getting into the music that helped shape, it opened my ears and helped shape how I, how I play, you know. Were you ever really into like crazy pointy metal-y guitars or, because uh, I know you've had some BC Riches in the past, but, but is that something <clears throat> that ever appealed to you? I've never had any pointy guitars, really. You know, I did have the, like I, I did have the BC Ridge, and I had a few Charvels and Kramers, but those were all like you know the Strat style ones. I think I had like three at one point, like a Kramer, a Charvel, and something else. And those were like my three golden guitars for a little while when I was like fourteen or fifteen. But I got the BC Ridge, selling one of those, and it was a I think it was a Mockingbird, so it only had the horn point at the bottom. That was the only pointy part of it, so that was my pointiest guitar. <laughs> Cool, cool. Uh, so let's switch gears um, and talk a little bit about opening up. So I, Little Caesar is going to go on tour in Europe later this year. We've already talked about that. But things uh, are starting to open up in Pittsburgh and, and I know in other places. Um, and as things start to open up there, I have seen some online discussion about who's getting shows, right? Charlie and I talked about this in a previous episode where everybody's sort of fighting for fewer stages and getting on bills and um, the difficulty of perhaps dealing with promoters or some some bands feel like it's the same damn band that gets to open for all of these touring acts all the time and I'm sick of seeing them or hearing them or whatever. Um, as you think back over your entire career in dealing, there's of course never been a stop like this in the industry like there is now, but dealing with promoters and trying to get shows, you know, What's different? What's the same? What does this all mean now? It's always the same, and what will always be is money. You know, if your band can pay to open up for every band that comes through, you're going to see only only that band. I mean, that's just basically what happened. So you, when you first moved to L.A., you were a green Connecticut boy. Everything was pay-to-play, right? We've talked about this a little bit. So was that just normal for you, getting into pay-to-play? It wasn't normal at all, and it wasn't everybody. It was just the major clubs at that point. You know, you could go play the Central, which turned into the live room, you know, and they might give you 50 bucks. You might get paid. You might not make anything. You might play for free, which is really what we tried to do more than anything was just take gigs wherever we could get them and then pay to play at Whiskey, Roxy, Gazzari's, Troubadour, Country Club. That was basically it. Other than those, everybody else, like you play FM Station, you're not selling tickets to play FM Station. You play the Coconut Teaser, you're just playing the Coconut Teaser. And again, the Teaser is a place where you could make money. They might charge 10 bucks a head and you get, you know, $3 for everybody that comes in. So at the end of the night, you've got $36 a man. <laughs> you know what right I mean? Right on. That was a great, you know, and then we take that money. And that's in a band fund. We're not splitting that. <laughs> So were there promoters or were you going directly to the clubs to try to get shows? Uh, mostly promoters. Some clubs like the Whiskey didn't use outside promoters for a little while. So you went to the Whiskey to book a show at the Whiskey. The Roxy always used outside promoters back in the day. Gazzari's, they had a, a night uh, that Rich Bartle hosted called Jet Set. And that was a pay-to-play night. And it was a jam night too. So it was kind of weird, but I think it was only like a hundred bucks to, to like, it was like 10 tickets at $10 or something like that. So we would do that and we, we could sell those cause you would go, Hey, you know, Warren's headlining, 
um, Cole Sweat's playing, um, South Gang's playing, we're playing, you know, there'd be 10 bands uh, on it. So it was, it was always worth it. And then Rich, you know, if you did it a few times, he'd throw you, you know, I'll just put you guys on, you know, at nine, you guys don't have to pay to play or anything. So you're still on the bill and like, okay, cool. You know, so it kind of worked like that. But, um, when we first got to LA, you know, we wanted, we knew we wanted to play the big clubs just because, you know, we're from Connecticut or like, Hey, I want to play the whiskey. I want to play the Roxy. So we've got BAM magazine and we saw, you know, to play the Roxy contact, blah, blah, blah. So that's what we did, you know, and we showed up and they said, okay, you guys go on at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. And God, was it like 1200 bucks or 600 bucks? Some, it was a crazy number for that time. And we had to sell a shit ton of tickets and we actually <laughs> sold a bunch and, and did it. But it was like, it was a lesson, you know, we were like, Oh my God. <laughs> and was there any, was the scene similar to what people are talking about here now, where if you can, if it is pay to play and you have certain bands that just do that all the time. So they're always the one opening up for, for the touring act. Um, was it similar back then? Was it always the same bands that could say afford to pay 600 bucks and get on these, these good bills? Yes, <laughs> it was pretty much the same bands that had money or following, you know, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, a band like say tough, look, they headline the whiskey. They're not paying to play. They're getting the money of all the bands that are paying to play okay. basically, you know, a cut of it anyways, you know, because the headliner is always getting paid. The pay to play is just for the closeout band who doesn't realize they're, you know, closing <laughs> the night out or they're like, Oh man, we got on at 1230 for $300. How great is that? Like, Holy shit, man. When you play to your, you know, your sister and your girlfriend, you're going to be like bummed that you paid $300 to play. But I digress. It's like, um, it's kind of always been the same thing as far as the same bands that, that could afford to do it and, and do it. You know, there's a, a club out here called the Canyon Club and they own four venues. They own a Canyon Club in Agora, like uh, Santa Clarita, Pasadena, Oxnard, they own five. And then they own the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. And they're, they only book national acts for those venues, and they always book two opening bands pay-to-play, like 1000 bucks each band. Oh, man. And it's like basically, yeah, they're paying, you know, and I back some people that have done those pay-to-play. So I got to open up for Johnny Winter at the theater, Saban Theater, like a couple months before he died. I opened up for Leon Russell at, at the Canyon Club. We opened up for Judy Collins. Like, we did some pretty good shows with lots of people but i mean she had to sell like 100 tickets at 10 bucks it was like insane and she would do it she she had a lot of people who were, were into her music so it worked but the stress she would go through to try to sell it you know it's just like i felt so bad but it's like right but i would never take a gig like that. and we ended up doing like uh we opened up with a disreputable few we opened up for big americana artists that just passed away not too long ago I can't think of his name, but we, I think we paid a $400 to go on at like eight, 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 eight o'clock before him for a half hour set. And we sold half the tickets and then we just chipped in for the other half. And we were like, we're not going to do that anymore. And the guy calls us constantly still. He's like, you know, but every act that we said we're willing to pay to play on, he's already got other people that are going to pay more money to get on that right. act. So right. it's like, you know, we're like, you know, you guys going to book, was it the Outlaws and Marshall Tucker were going to play like Saban Theater and they're looking for two opening acts. And we're like, we'll do that. Oh, no, this band already paid two grand to get on it. So next time they come around, we'll see what we can do. That was always their shtick. So we stopped, we gave up and he still contacts me going, you guys still want to play? 
when when you first moved out there coming from Connecticut, you didn't have I mean, you certainly had some friends, but you didn't have family. You didn't have the normal network that you would hit up to, to say, hey, we're playing here. Please buy some tickets so we don't go broke. Um, so so how were you did when you're hitting people up to to get them to buy tickets, weren't they just getting tired of you or every other band that's doing exactly the same thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, like, without a doubt. But it's like they also were either fans or friends and, and had a sympathetic, you know, view towards what, knowing we were trying to make it. And they ble- they believed in us, you know what I mean? So they were trying to help. But, but to answer your question, too, you're, you're right, Paul. We came out here without any friends or family. And what we did was we knew, you know, flyering and going up to the strip was where we were going to meet people and like-minded bands and girls, hopefully, you know? And, I mean, that was our hope. And the apartment complex that we, we lived in where we rehearsed, as you know, there was other bands that lived there. They didn't rehearse, but we, so we had friends there. We had Pat Sullivan lived there. He was the kid that played Ricky in the 18 and life video, you know, and right. he was like the, one of the craziest, he was such a party animal and he had this band called forgotten child and they were, they were pretty good, you know, and he told us, Oh, you know, I, I won't see you guys this weekend. I'm shooting a video for Skid Row. And, you know, we're all like 18. We're like, yeah, sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> so like two weeks, we don't see him for like a week. And we're like, he must have went to Florida back home or something. And then we see him and he's like, you know, let's watch the premiere. Come up to my apartment. We'll watch the premiere. And sure as shit, he was Ricky. We were like, oh, my God, he lives in our building. <laughs> And there was girls that lived above us, and they took me to see great bands like Roxanne and uh, well, oh man, what was that band with blonde hair? Desi Rex, uh, the Demals. They were really good. I saw them at the Troubadour, you know, and they were still in that glammy, but starting to get a little like Guns and Rosesy. So that thing, that change was happening, and I was starting to see these different bands that I was meeting people and just becoming friends. And that, that was the thing that was cool. It's like the Moria went to the strip and flyered. You come home and go, oh, man, I made a bro who plays in the Brats, you know? Oh, I made a bro in Pretty Boy Floyd. I made a bro, and all of a sudden, you're hanging out with them, and then they introduce you to their friends. And then, you know, like my friend Eric from Cold Sweat, Dan Formica is the guy who introduced us. You know, we were working a telemarketing job, and he was sitting next to Eric, and Eric's like, oh, yeah, I play guitar in this band Cold Sweat. And he goes, yeah, and then when I'm not doing that, I play basketball all the time. And I was used to ex- for exercise. I used to play basketball all the time. And so Dan was like, Oh, you got to be my friend, Mark. He's a guitar player who plays basketball too. <laughs> and so at, on like break at the thing. And next thing I know, we're playing basketball at the YMCA. And that was a crazy time too. Cause I mean, we played like, that was the celebrity hangout to go play basketball there. So we played with like Denzel Washington and the Wayans brothers, um, God, there were so many famous people that played there. It used to actually blow my mind. Sometimes I'd walk in and I'd be like, oh, my God. And almost every time we were there, you could guarantee George Thorogood would be there by himself with his headband on walking around the gym for hours. He would just walk around the gym and then he'd switch direction. And he was he I, he hated us playing basketball. So the best thing is he'd be walking and the ball would go by and we'd go, little help. And he wouldn't even pick his head up. He wouldn't even look. He'd step over the ball and just keep walking. Like, God. And now one of my good friends, one of Eric's good friends, has been his sound man for like the last 15 years and said he's nothing but a great guy and amazing to work for and, you know, make sure everybody gets paid and is consistent with work and like great guy. So, so he was just 
ornery because he was probably walking everywhere and sick of us almost hitting him with a basketball. <laughs> I definitely want to go back to the basketball stuff, uh, but perhaps in a different episode. But what I need to know now is you're not a tall man. So are, were you good at basketball back then? Are you still good at basketball? I'm, I'm Spud Webb and uh, Muggsy Bogues were like my heroes, <laughs> as well as Michael Jordan. So uh, I'm pretty quick. Uh, I'm like I'm one of those guys that they hate because I'm fast and I can feel the ball real quick. I mean, growing up, I played I played one year at Xavier and before I got you know the guitar bug where I was like I just don't have time for this, you know. And so I always loved it. My brothers were really good players. I had a hoop in my driveway, so I was shooting all the time. So I could I could shoot an outside shot. I could make moves. I, I had a nice crossover dribble, <laughs> if you will. So I, you know, I, what I remember. When I was playing freshman year, I couldn't dribble with my left hand. So whenever my mom was coming to pick me up from practice, I would just dribble the whole, like, however long the ride took for her to get there. It would be like a half hour. I would just dribble only with my left. And now I can go to my left leg, which throws everybody because I'm a righty. So they all think they forced me left. And I'm like, Bam, right by you. So. so great. We have to. <laughs> we definitely have to talk about some of this other, uh, some of this other stuff. Because uh, I do recall you being a good athlete in high school. I know you played baseball and all of that sort of stuff. So, so all of that tracks. I don't think you're just blowing smoke here on the 50th episode for for everyone to think that <laughs> you have all of these these talents. But that's yeah. I definitely think uh, we should talk about some of that stuff. But let's leave this episode with the following. So we talked about uh, pay to play. We talked about promoters. All of that stuff. Now your two sort of main projects, um, busier projects right now: Crusados and Little Caesar. Um, booking agents, uh, tour managers, how, how does that work now in 2021, understanding that everybody's trying to get back at it sort of the same way? So what works for that level of band? Well, I mean, I, I'm lucky in both those bands that we do have booking agents, so they take care of all that stuff for us. And basically, they just call us and say, we've been offered these gigs, we've been offered this. So we're playing with that uh, band Junkyard. We're doing a show with them at the Viper Room. And basically, our, our booker just called us up and said, hey, you know, you got offered a show with Junkyard at the Viper Room. And also, you can play Gallagher's with them in Orange County if you want that game on Friday night before. And uh, our, our drummer was out of town. So we said, what about the Cruzados? That's how we got that gig. You know, but the Cruzados is we're in um, the process of getting a whole team together right now. We have a publicist. Uh, who actually writes for Rolling Stone magazine and just put us in music connection about this coming out. Um, we have, uh, they also got the music to Rodney Bingenheimer, Rodney on the rock, you know, who's mm -hmm. pretty famous yeah. LA DJ discovered a lot of big bands and he played us on Sunday night. He played two tracks for us. He wasn't even going to play one because he didn't like how our publicist sent it to him or whatever, but then I guess he heard him and liked him or, you know, he was a fan of the Grisados back in the day. Um, so, answer your question pretty lucky with that you know and to to, to to put it you know full circle basically when i'm playing with like disreputable few unless we have uh, like linda perry wanting us to back her or billy gibbons or bob weir we're usually hustling for a gig you know i'm call i'm calling promoters at clubs and i'm trying to see what i can get us on and where we can play you know and just like everybody it's like it's coming back slow. There's a, I think the lucky thing in LA is there's a lot more venues. So 
you know, I'm playing the Mint, I'm playing the Maui Sugar Mill, I'm playing the Viper Room. You know, I got a, the opportunity to have a lot of different venues that are kind of spread out, you know, whereas Pittsburgh, you might have 10 clubs, but they're all in Pittsburgh, right. you know, like for me, I can drive 20 minutes and have three different clubs and then drive another 20 minutes and have, so, and there's a million bands out here and some people are still slow at wanting to get back out to playing, which is totally understandable. And then some people are just gung, gung-ho about it, you know, but I, it seems like it's moving in the direction of we'll be playing a lot of gigs. I mean, people seem pretty happy, and it seems like some shows, I think, start maybe next weekend. I think it's the weekend of the 15th. A bunch of, big, bunch of shows just start happening. So okay. time will tell, you know. Let me ask you this. So I have two bands right now, uh, the same members, but it's two different bands, right? So two different okay. names, two different bands, same members. Uh, we're playing one band on a Friday night, another band on a Saturday night, both at the same location. So uh, it's far away. It's in Chicago. So we're saying we're calling it a co-headlining tour, right? Uh, <laughs> you can legally have two different bands. <laughs> so co-headlining tour, you know, disregard the fact that it's at the same venue and we're just going to basically stay there the, the whole time. Um, so do you think that makes us seem cooler or less cool to a guy out in L.A. like you? Yes. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, it's it's a good idea, that's for sure. It keeps you busy, and it's not oh, it's the same band. So hey, right, you know, I right think on. more power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mostly we don't care, so whatever. Uh, right. Well, that's the right attitude, right? You know. <laughs> So I want to thank Mark uh, for being the catalyst for this show now in its 50th episode. Really, you are the reason we are having these conversations and, and branching out and me getting to talk to other people, too. So I cannot thank you enough, buddy. Thank you. Well, it's been a to total blast doing this. So thank you. And, you know, to see how much you improve on guitar every week still blows my mind, too. You know, you. I mean, right you, on. you got a great rate at one point and now you know scales and chords and you know crazy chords and you ask questions that are like holy shit i gotta think about it for yeah, a second maybe maybe one day i'll uh, grow up and be like you mark maybe <laughs> you just gotta make yourself crazy and practice over and over and over and over and over and over, and over. <laughs> thanks to everyone who's listening and is making this uh podcast a success please continue to listen please tell your friends please like and subscribe Please listen to us, me and Mark, and everyone else that's on the podcast when you're taking your two-hour drive out of the desert into the city. Um, all of it is much appreciated. On behalf of Mark and myself, thank you very much. Thanks, Mark, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, thank you for the platform and the opportunity, and it's been great, you know, not only catching up, but sharing all these crazy stories that would definitely just, you know, go to the grave with me. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, talk to you soon, bud. All right, thank you.